Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast and radio show explore art, architecture, and film at the center and fringe of contemporary cultures around the world. Today's field trip takes us to artist Deborah Mitchell's studio on Miami Beach. Here, finished projects and works in progress reveal how the wild side of Florida's coast inspires her. Findings from nature, books by cultural and environmental experts, her own stitched photographs, drawings, collages, paintings, and personal journals tell stories of the Everglades. The only subtropical wilderness in North America spans the southern tip of Florida and most of Florida Bay. Rich in wildlife and home to large wading birds, this is where alligators and crocodiles have learned to live together. The coast has become a contested landscape, endangered by encroaching urban development and sea level rise. Mitchell's mixed media art and installations express her affinity for this fragile ecology and her desire to learn and share its science and history. Let's begin at the beginning, when Deborah Mitchell first encountered Florida. I can remember even when I was a child taking the car trip annually from Canada, uh, coming down to Pompano Beach where we eventually resettled in 1972. I would just lie in the back of my parents' station wagon and stare up at the birds and the sun and the cypress trees on Alligator Alley. So I was always pretty fascinated with the environment in that sense, Uh, but along with the normal things that little girls do, like collecting shells and making arrangements with them. My mom always indulged me and bought me the velvet and the glue to make my collages and supported me in any way I could. So I think since I was a child, I was fascinated with art making. However, when I did move back to the States after some years in Europe, I was self-taught, started and determined just to be a painter no matter what it took. And once I got married, I would do some local shows like festivals in Key West, for example. So that would be about 25 years ago. Ten years went by, my son was born, and I had to reconfigure how I create because I no longer had the time to start, complete, and finish larger paintings. And that's when I started to take many more pictures and try to incorporate them into mixed media. And that's really been the story for me the last decade or so. Using a journal to remember what I was doing, taking the pictures, gluing the pictures into the journal, painting, making notes on the page, and then eventually translating it or transcribing it to a larger piece for the public came really into play. Mitchell has gone deep into the world that fascinates her. During a 2007 residency in Big Cypress Nature Preserve, she volunteered to take on a special mission, a national park survey to correct global positioning data on privately owned lands within the preserve, to confirm the location of remote camps and cabins that were mere specks on the map of the vast swamp. The survey was vital to fire protection, trail maintenance, and environmental compliance. Big Cypress stretches across 2,400 square miles west of the Everglades National Park, known to be so wild that ghost orchids bloom in splendid isolation and panthers roam the land unseen. 
It took a year of field work to achieve the assessment. In the company of an expert mapmaker, traveling by kayak, all-terrain vehicles, fire engines, and on foot, Mitchell joyfully roamed the wilderness. The artifacts, images, and sounds that she collected along the way became source material for her art. When I was an artist in residence in Big Cypress, one of the things that's expected of you is to give back in some way. When this opportunity to get into the backcountry came up, I jumped on it because it's very hard to get miles and miles into the wilderness away from the road and signs of humans. I really enjoyed the company of Tyler Davis, the old timer who was an expert map maker, and it was just the two of us. It was just like a great geo game before geotagging had been invented. Sometimes the cabins we were looking at, the camps they actually call them, would have just been a blue tarp strung between a couple of trees and maybe an illegal turkey feeder on the ground or deer feeder. And then sometimes they were extremely elaborate hunting cabins. The point was to get on the property, click the GPS and make the recordings. And of course I could take some photographs and look around a little bit and then go on to the next one. And the location of this was exactly where? All over the Big Cypress National Preserve, I would say the bulk of the places that we explored were north of the Tamiami Trail, south of the Seminole Reservation, and east of Highway 29. Back on Miami Beach, in Deborah Mitchell's studio, she introduces her 2017 artist book, The Everglades Field Guide. From Reality to Memory, 142 pages in full color, paintings, photographs, journal entries, and archival images, and the book itself slips into a limited edition handmade box with a signed, sewn 5 by 7 inch print. I would like to talk about what you're incorporating into your work the kind of layers that are important to you and the process. I love the texture of bringing in different papers and fabrics, and that was actually a component that's been, I would say, relevant in my work the last five or six years. Kind of a tool to weave together stories, photographs, and paintings. So when you think about it, it helps me take the work from the page of a journal or sketchbook and grow it into something larger for a wall in a show. In that process, you're using constructed imagery and found imagery and found layers in a way because if you're using fabric or wallpaper, mm -hmm. those become part of the process and the outcome. I think a good example is a very interesting landscape photograph that I did in Big Cypress in 2007. So it's a while ago now, but it's been a while since I've seen that great deal of flocks of mixed species together. So in this particular shot, there's wood storks and rosates and egrets and alligators and everything out off of Tamiami Trail. I have the photograph. I wrote notes about art in the environment that I took during a research workshop last summer at the ICA. And then I went ahead and stitched all the borders, kind of connecting some of the words and the image. And that ended up in my book. It's just a small piece, like 13 by 19, but I love how it came out. It really seemed to convey what I was thinking and feeling and learning about my time out in the field. And I wanted to share that with other people. Speaking of books, there are certain books that you were going to show me that have influenced your work or that involve ideas and issues that are important to 
your process? I would say probably about 12 years ago, I read a book named Gladesman by Dr. Laura Ogden and Pioneer or Gladesman, Glenn Simmons. It was written in a vernacular where I could just hear Glenn's voice in my head over and over in that southern accent that I felt I had to meet him. And of course, he was 92 at the time, so he's not very Googleable. I couldn't really reach him myself through the internet. And I ended up reaching out to Dr. Ogden, who was teaching at FIU Anthropology at the time. She answered my inquiry. We met and became friends, and eventually she let me take oral histories and uh, photos with Glenn while he was still alive. He died shortly thereafter. And eventually Laura and I worked together on her next book called Swamp Life, People, Gators, and Mangroves Entangled in the Everglades. You know, she's an academic based on the theories of Deleuze and Guattari, but she interwove chapters about the John Ashley gang. There was a group of guys and this woman who were making all sorts of moonshine and robbing banks and doing crazy things in Florida back in the day. So she put those stories in little bits into the book too, and I was just so honored that she included some of my work in it. I love these subtitles of these books. For the Gladesmen, it's Gator Hunters, Moonshiners, and Skiffers. Skiffers. Yeah. Very interesting thing about Glenn is he was one of the first people to really make these Everglades skiffs, which were a variation of a Seminole dugout canoe, flatter and slightly wider to accommodate camping supplies. So during the Depression, for example, he would pull his skiff, because they're flat boat bottoms, through the Everglades to areas where he would hunt alligators. And of course, they would skin them and cure the hides and sell and barter them for food because it was the 1930s and life was very hard back then. So that was before it became, in 1947, a national park. Hunters could still get away with doing things like that. Glenn was always someone who really took care of the environment and not someone who abused it. I want to make that important differentiation with him. Let's talk about your book. The book is meant as a visual field guide through an artist's eyes. It's divided into three territories. One is north of the lake and the lake. The other one is Big Cypress. And lastly, it ends in Everglades National Park and the Florida Bay. That was the best way I could visually make sense of it for people who don't know about the Everglades. And each territory has different types of people and different terrains. So that's what I was trying to convey. I took time off last summer, a little sabbatical. To really organize my files, it seemed like I had thousands and thousands of photographs and bits of work spanning over about 11 years, and I needed a way to make sense of it all. I was able to identify little holes or areas where I needed to research a little more. And that really is the most special part of the book to me because I was able to push myself a little harder. What I found once I had the time to organize everything was that I didn't know a lot about the north area of Lake Okeechobee. I didn't know a lot about the ranches, the headwaters of the Everglades commencing just south of Orlando in Kissimmee. So I reached out to helpers to help teach me about certain areas What do you mean by helpers? I'd read some articles about Dr. Paul Gray, who's a speaker and wonderful scientist with Audubon, and was in awe of his work. So I reached out to him and said, Dr. Gray, I'm working on a project. I feel I need to learn more about X area. And he said, well, come on up. Let me help you out. He extended just great generosity of his time for a couple of days, taking me out on an airboat on Lake Okeechobee, showing me the islands that Audubon is caring for right now and trying to restore and bring back a greater 
bird populations and uh, better water quality and analyzing the depth of the water and what that does to the fish and what that does to the birds and what that does to the people. So it was very exciting. And he called his friend Hilary Swain at the Archbold Biological Station, and I was her guest overnight there and was able to go into the archives with her team of scientists and take some photographs and learn more about her endemic species that she's constantly trying to protect and do more research on there at the station. That's in Venus, Florida, really at the base of the Lake Wales Ridge. I noticed that Michelle Ogunona wrote something about it. I want to read it. Deborah Mitchell's beautiful Everglades field guide is a journey into both primal landscape and the human psyche. She wanders deep into the physical space and finds worlds within the brackish water and mangrove roots. This penetration is vividly expressed with both pen and brush, and the use of collage and camera in the guide is a recipe for enjoying countless hours in one of America's great wonders. Michelle Okadonner is a public artist and an artist of sculptural and found objects and is a collector like you of natural objects and responds to nature in a way that resonates with you tremendously, I'm sure. I find her work so inspiring. I'm just very flattered and honored that she wrote that about the book. Since 2013, Mitchell has been director of Artists-in-Residence in Everglades, also known as Airy. She shares the wonders of the region with artists, writers, and musicians, the local community, and thousands of park visitors, coordinating the residency program, curating exhibitions, and staging cultural events. You know the Everglades better than many people, I imagine. You've explored edge to edge, and you've introduced it to the artists in residence, the people who come to spend a month at a time there have the benefit of working with someone who is passionate about the region, about exploring it, about considering a creative opportunity to learn and create art, performance, music. I think that you've done a tremendous job extending your love and sharing it with others in the creative community. Thank you very, very much. It's totally an honor to work with all these people that come through the program. We give out now 10 fellowships per year, and I think it's really important to distinguish that each fellow, each discipline is different, and some people want a lot of support and interaction, and others want to be left alone. So first and foremost, we try to treat each artist very individually, look at their project, and ask how they want to approach the residency, and then we take it from there. On a personal level and in conjunction with the board of directors that we have, we're trying to make sure the artists have more connections with diverse biologists at this stage of the program. And how does that translate exactly? So in the past, if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about invasive species, I connect them with a couple of experts in the field. Now, if I hear that, I try to make personal appointments with them, try to find the money to give them a little bit more of a stipend to pursue the project. And we have applied for a couple of grants now to actually pay the scientists as well. So if they come through, we'll be able to increase the volume on the science aspect and make the whole experience a little more intense. We still want to keep the program nice and small, but we want it to be better and stronger. And that's where we think the efforts would best be applied.
And that's what we just did up in those headwaters of the Everglades last weekend. So I took a few artists up, Elite Kidan and Robert Chambers and Christina Peterson with a member of our board of directors. We invited the CEO of Bull Sugar, a nonprofit who helps water quality. And I connected everybody with these two biologists from Archbold and Audubon. And we spent three days exploring the region together. So the first thing I did was I took everybody to the areas that influenced me and my work for my book. And then from there, we were able to kind of fan out and pursue our own interests. I stayed in a little cottage and we would have our dinners every night. It was just a phenomenal experience. I'm really happy we were able to do that, like a private research field trip, if you will. So we hope to do more collaborations like that. What is your vision in the longer term for your own work? I'm very happy in the area, in the sense that I don't have any plans to start exploring greatly another territory. So I can say confidently that I'll continue to focus on the Everglades. I think the territory needs all the support it can get, be it from the artists or the scientists or the fundraisers. It's the water quality and the Biscayne Aquifer continue to need our help. I enjoyed the book project very much. I wouldn't mind working on a second edition and then getting the work out there, having a couple of shows locally where I can interact with the public and talk to them about what I've seen and answer any questions and, and help people understand a little bit more. That's how I see Deborah Mitchell's work unfolding. As for Aerie, I think it's in a really good place right now, and the board of directors wants to keep it small, as financially strong and fiscally sound as we possibly can, while giving more money into the artists and the science projects. Deepening the impact and raising the profile of the artists and scientists at the same time you raise the profile and preserve the history and culture of the Everglades. That really sums it up. I think so often we get mired in measurable outcomes and metrics when you're trying to influence people's understanding of the environment are sometimes very hard to get, but we are getting to the place where we can start to understand it a little better. For example, when we were on this weekend trip to research, we really feel like the different disciplines involved in that trip would make a wonderful exhibition. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start looking for grants to support that. And I think it would be beautiful for the people of South Florida to understand what those artists saw on that trip and just keep deepening the educational aspect. A window into the world of the Everglades. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Artist Deborah Mitchell engages in a mindful creative practice, weaving together a life of field research, preservation, advocacy, and art. She heightens our awareness and respect for the American wilderness. Visit freshartinternational.com to learn more and hear other stories about art and the environment. We invite you to subscribe, rate, and review Fresh Art International wherever you go to listen. It means a lot to know you're following us. With the support of individuals like you, we've been sharing these conversations since 2011. Go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to give what you can. The Knight Foundation will double every donation you make. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.